Welcome. Uh, we are so glad that you're here. My name is Alan, and I'm excited this morning because let me tell you, the message, this might sound a little bit arrogant, but the message this morning is, is the best message I've given this decade. I'm serious. Right here. The best one. Is, okay, I actually am excited about uh, the message. As Jan said, we are launching into the 18-week journey, the part green journey. Hopefully, you've picked up your journal and you're going to uh, take this journey with us. It starts today. And the theme is growth. Overall, what we mean by that is that here as we get started in 2020, you and I, we're all where we are. We are where we are. We're right here. And over the next 18 weeks uh, and through the rest of the year, we are either going to decline, we're going to drop, we're going to kind of fade, or we're going to remain stagnant, kind of just stay where we are, or we're going to grow, we're going to improve, we're going to find ways to, to try new things. We're going to grow and become more like the men and women that God wants us to be. So that's the whole growth thing. We're going to talk about that in greater detail starting next week. We're going, to see, we're going to start a new series on the topic of growth, and we're going to get that started next week. But here in week one of the journal, we're going to do the same topic that we do in week one of every journal. We did this same topic at the beginning of our journal in the fall, and that is looking at the topic of follower. The title of the journal is Realize Your Role in God's Story, and one of the key foundational roles for us, if we choose to be a Christian, then one of the key foundational roles is, what does it mean to be a follower? To follow Jesus, not just believe in Jesus, but to follow this Jesus. And so that's what we're talking about. What does it mean to be a follow? follower? If you would call yourself a Christian, if you would identify yourself as a Christian, there was a time in your life when you were not. And so what's the difference between the time when you were not a Christian and the time that you have been a Christian? What's the difference between a non-follower, a pre-follower, and a follower? What does it mean to be a follower? Fortunately, uh, Jesus shoots real straight on this topic, and we are going to look at what he has to say, and we're going to try to shoot real straight as we gather here in this place. But let me just tell you, let me just give you a little hint as we're heading into this. It's not anything you want, you got it. Okay, I mean, wouldn't it be great if that's what Christianity was? Sign up for that, and then anything you want from God, anything you want, everything is going to be okay. That's not what it means to be a follower. There, it, it, it's going to cost you something, and that's what we're going to take a look at today. Would you bow your heads with me? Father, I thank you for this new year. I thank you for this uh, gathering here in this place, for this hour that is set aside for you. We have a lot going on, but right here, right now, this is about you. So Father, I pray that you would bless this 18-week journey in whatever way people in this room engage with it, whether it's just a, just a few Sundays or, or, or Sunday mornings or the journal or whatever experience, God, that you would bless our hope and desire to grow as men and women, to grow in our relationship with you. I pray in your son's name. Amen. Well, Jesus, as I said, was shot very straight in terms of what it means to be a follower. He gave very clear expectations to his disciples and to those who chose to follow him. He wasn't painting a fake picture and then sort of did a bait and switch. He shot straight right from the very beginning, gave very 
clear expectations, which is so important. We kind of separate that from the spiritual conversation. It's so important to have clear expectations in every avenue of life. At work, you cannot be successful unless you have clear expectations from someone, your boss or your boss's boss or whatever. You have to know what is expected of you before you can have any possibility of being successful at work. It's so important as employers, it's so important as employees to have clear expectations. If you wanna be happy in marriage, you have to have conversations about expectations. That's why often the first few years of marriage can be tricky because both people come in with a different uh, family of origin and therefore different expectations in terms of how chores are to be done and how things are uh, to be taken care of. How do you handle days off? What do you do on days off? Do you lean towards getting work done and play or play then work? What do you do with vacations? Do you ever leave vacations on the table? Whatever. You, you, if you want to be happy in your marriage relationship, you've got to deal with the expectations about holidays and all that kind of stuff. Whose parents are we going to go visit? All sorts of things. If you are about to have your first child, what are your expectations about the first three months of that baby's life? What, what have you heard from others? What are you expecting that to look like? When uh, that was my experience with, uh, with, uh, for, with Tammy and me, I described that season as it was the worst of times, it was the worst of times. It, it, was, it was just, we had expected something different and it was just hard. Here's two selfish, uh, well, I'll lean more towards me than her, but, but, but one, you know, very selfish person, both youngest in our family, and then having this baby that the other person's supposed to take care of over and over. I mean, it was, just, it was just a tricky, tricky season. And it, what, doesn't, what doesn't help is when you have friends who bring their babies over and say, oh, so you're, you're having a hard time getting your baby to fall asleep at night? Oh, that's too bad. Our little Susie is such an angel. And then you just, well, get out of my house. Just get out. We don't want you and your little Susie angel in here. I mean, because it's all about expectations and, and we have different conversations and what's this gonna look like? And then little Susie grows up to be a teenage girl and then there's a boy who comes to the house and then you have a different conversation with that boy and you say, what are your expectations? And so the, the, the question of what are your expectations, it's a very important question. It covers, it's so important to start out having clarity on this. And Jesus understands this. And so he, he, he says to those who choose to follow him, he says, he says, I just want to lay out clear expectations with you. It is going to cost you something. It is not anything you want, you got it. It is going to cost you something. Before you get started, Make sure you understand what that cost is. As I said, Jesus is, has crystal clarity, in, in fact, sobering clarity in terms of the expectations that he uh, offers. I want to take a look at that with you in Luke chapter 14. If you have your Bible with, with you, I invite you to turn there. Luke chapter 14, the New Testament begins with the four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. So it's the third book in the New Testament. Chapter 14 Beginning in verse 25, Luke, the writer of this, says, Large crowds were gathering with Jesus, and turning to them, he said, I just want to pause there because it's clear that Jesus wasn't just talking to his intimate 12. He wasn't just talking to a few, you know, warriors that were with him. He turned and talked to the crowd, to anyone who said, if you want to follow me. And he says, if anyone comes to me, 
and does not hate father and mother, wife and children, brothers and sisters, yes, even their own life, such a person cannot be my disciple. What? What? I mean, this is not... This is not our key verse for family ministry here at Mountain Park. This is not a verse that we're, this is a very uncomfortable verse. Why would Jesus say something like this? Let me, let me, uh, let me continue. And whoever does not carry their cross and follow me cannot be my disciple. Put all these three verses together and it's clear. Jesus was, was not afraid to thin the crowds with his words. He wasn't begging people to follow him. He wasn't just trying to soften everything up so that we get large crowds of people. He shot soberingly, painfully straight and said, if you're gonna follow me, it's gonna cost you. So here in these first few verses, he's addressing our relationships. It is going to cost you in terms of people. It's going to cost you in terms of the relationships that you're in. Jesus is not devaluing our family relationships, our marriage relationships, our relationships with brothers and sisters. And that, that's, not a, that's not what Jesus is saying here because we can see from other things that Jesus said that he has very high value for all of those relationships. But what he is saying, I believe, is, is connected with many centuries of, of of theology from scripture going back to the second commandment where it says that our God is a jealous God. And so the second commandment is about, is, is about, is about remembering God is a jealous God. He wants all of you, not part of you. And so when we have other relationships in our lives, any relationship that we put on that, on that throne, on, on that pedestal, any other relationship that is equated or more than God in our lives, that, that is not the way God wants us to, uh, to work. And so there are times when some people in our lives may need to make some adjustments. We need to, it's going to cost us in terms of some relationships in our lives. It, it might be helpful to, to compare this to marriage. When we get married, it costs us something in terms of relationships, in terms of other relationships. It has an effect on other relationships when we commit to that relationship. The easiest decisions in life are the ones that don't exclude other options. Okay, the easiest decisions is when you say, I'm gonna pick B, but all the other letters are still available. It's easy to pick a dessert at an all-you-can-eat buffet. No problem, no problem there. What makes a decision difficult, any decision, is when the decision itself nullifies or removes other options. That when we go through this door, what that means is that other doors get closed and locked and are no longer an option. That's what makes the decision difficult. And that's what happens when we get married. We stand at the altar and we say before a gathering of people before the Lord, we say, forsaking all others. Let me tell you, for me, that was a, that was a lot. That was, okay, not true. Um, but, 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 but we say forsaking all others. In other words, all those other doors are closed. That forsaking all others, I will be faithful to you and you alone. Many struggle 
with the covenant of marriage because of that fact in and of itself. That once we enter into that, we are saying, I am yours and you are mine. We are committing to one another. Other doors get closed and that can be difficult. Marriage costs us something in terms of other relationships. And, and, and that's what happens in our relationship with God. It costs us something in terms of some of the relationships we might have. We, we sometimes, you know, some people struggle with the, the, the notion of exclusivity in terms of Christianity. Some people struggle with Christianity because of exclusivity. Who are we or anyone to say that Jesus is the only way to heaven? That Jesus is the only way to have a restored relationship with God? Who are we to say that? But what if we just take that question, which is a very valid question, a very viable question. What if we just took that question and flipped it upside down to make it not a theological question, but a relational question? Because we don't have any problem with exclusivity when it comes to marriage. We're exclusive to one another. That's what the marriage covenant means. What, what if the exclusivity thing is not a theological thing. It's just the reality that Jesus is madly in love with you. Jesus is in love with you and wants you to be his own, wants to have a relationship with you where, where, where he is, is not just part of your life, he is Lord of your life. He's not just part of your day and you think of him, you know, a few minutes here and there. He is the one who, who rules you and your family and your future. When we choose to follow Jesus in that way, it's gonna cost us in terms of some of our relationships. Jesus continues in the next verse. He says, suppose one of you wants to build a tower. Won't you first sit down and estimate the cost to see if you have enough money to complete it? This verse is an eerie one for, for me. For those of you who were here when we moved into this building, you might remember that we had plans to build a big tower a prayer tower that was going to go up there, and, and, uh, and we had to alter those plans. <clears throat> Let me keep on reading. It's just, it's oddly relevant. It's just kind of like, was that in the Bible before 2017? It was really... For if you lay the foundations and are not able to finish it, everyone who sees it will ridicule you, saying this person began to build and wasn't able to finish. I hate these verses. I mean, this is just so bizarre. I know that there's a, more of a reason for this than Mountain Park in 2017, uh, uh, our, our journey here. But this is, just, this is just odd here. Jesus is saying, if you're gonna build a tower, if you're, then, then before you get, get started with that journey, make sure you're ready to, to, to pay the cost of what it's, gonna, what, it's, what it's gonna take to make it happen. Before you enter into 2020, here, it's just to be your very beginning, first Sunday so far, you have perfect attendance at church, way to go. Before you enter into 2020 and, and, you, and you think, okay, I wanna grow spiritually this year. I want this to be a different year. I wanna be committed in my relationship with Jesus in a different way than I have before. If that's part of your journey, fantastic, fantastic. But before you build that tower, are you gonna finish what you start? Are you gonna stay down that path? Are you willing to pay the cost? Because when it comes to following Jesus, there is a cost in terms of our possessions, in terms of our stuff, in terms of our money. That, that when we choose to follow Jesus, there's no way to get around it. We 
we'll, we'll have to think differently about where money comes from and what it's for. We'll have to think differently about how we live and what we choose to have. It's just gonna have, it's gonna, it's gonna cost us in terms of our possessions. I, in the first section, I compared that a little bit to marriage. This second section, I, I, I could compare to dieting, which, you know, eating healthy is something that, that all of us on some level would like to do. We'd like to eat healthy in, in some way. And as we head into 2020, many of us have plans to eat healthy and not eat certain things, and, and, uh, and it's all good. But, but one, of the, one of the greatest things that gets in the way of our hopes and desires to eat healthy, one of the things, there are many, but one of the things is that it's expensive. Health, eating healthy is expensive. And so when you see that $5 pizza that could feed two or three people, or you see that 99 cent burrito, and you go, well, that's, how could I not get that? I mean, we have a plan as a family. I'm not proud of it, but after, uh, uh, after church on Sunday, we just load up everybody in the van, our kids, their friends, everybody, and just, we go to Taco Bell, and we just say, get whatever you want. We're Spurgeon, we're going crazy. We're going crazy as a family. Get whatever you want, any, uh, off the 99 cent menu, but anything you want. <laughs> anything you want, you got it. That's kind of, that's the theme for the Taco Bell plan there. But restaurants, they're not designed to feed you in a healthy way. That's not what they're there for. Restaurants have changed so much. When I, when I, was, a, when I was a kid and when many of you, you know, a number of years ago, um, we rarely went to restaurants. And so when you went to a restaurant, it was a special occasion. It was a, it was a novelty. It was a, it was a special time to indulge. It was outside of the norm. And so, oh, we would go and it'd be special. I remember getting excited about going to McDonald's. <gasps> Golden arches. I mean, that was a thrill. That was a big thrill. Now McDonald's is either a staple or it's punishment you know, because you're not gonna to go to the places that you'd like to go to. And so, so the, 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 the statistics say that, that we now go to restaurants 30 to 50% of the time. And, and what happens is that's way higher than what it used to be, but we still have a mindset that when you go to a restaurant, you indulge. When you go to, we, we haven't changed that part of it. So we go to a restaurant and instead of eating healthy, we typically say, I'm at a restaurant, it's time to indulge. That's kind of our, our mindset. And restaurants love that because that's how they make their money. They don't make money off of healthy food. You know this, you go to a restaurant and there's that one page with healthy options. So you have a, you have a choice. You can either choose from the healthy options page or you can, you can choose something that tastes good. Those are really your only two options because they're not in the business to, to keep you healthy. They're in the business of making money. Very few restaurants truly offer a lot of a lot of, uh, a lot of uh, healthy food. So you've got to ask yourself, if you're committed to, to eating healthy food, am, am I willing to pay the price? Am I willing to pay what it costs? Is this value high enough for me to pay what it costs to eat healthy? And it's the same as we head into the decision of, do I want to truly grow as a follower of Christ? Am, am I willing to let, it, to let it affect my pocketbook? Am I willing to, to pay the, the, the cost of what is, what is expected of me? Let me shoot straight with you here. If you are a follower of Christ, if you would identify yourself as a Christian, and that relationship with Jesus has had no effect on the way you live, has no effect on what you own, how you spend money, as if it has had no effect, then you may not be 
a follower. Because when we choose to follow Jesus, it will cost us in terms of our possessions. One final section, the third and final section. Jesus really just kind of keeps pushing through this. Verse 31, or suppose a king is about to go to war against another king. Won't he first sit down and consider whether he is able with 10,000 men to oppose the one coming against him with 20,000? If he is not able, he will send a delegation while the other is still a long way off and will ask for terms of peace. In the same way, those of you who do not give up everything you have cannot be my disciple. Again, Jesus is, is shooting so straight with this. What, he, what he's talking about here is he's talking about a king who has to give up something that no king wants to give up. A king is in this difficult place of having to give up power. That here's a, a king is used to getting what he wants. He has a, a, an army of 10,000 soldiers behind him. And yet here in this story, he has to, to deal with the reality that he's going to have to give up power. This, this, this may be the trickiest one of them all for us, that, that when we choose to follow Jesus, we, it, it is going to cost us in terms of power and control. It, it's going to cost us. The reason this can often be tricky is we think, well, now I'm a Christian, so now I'm, I'm on God's side. God's big and strong. God wins in the end. God is winning, so that means since I'm a Christian, I'm on God's side, I'm winning. We think, I, I'm supposed to win at life. Aaron Rodgers is a Christian, so that means the Packers should win, right? I mean, because he's a Christian. I'm a Christian, so I should get the job. I should be the one who wins the argument, who wins the, the case in court. I'm the Christian. I'm on God's side. But the reality is, we don't always win. We don't always win. And so sometimes we have to, we have to, to, to surrender power, which is the last thing that a king wants to do here in this story. Because sometimes we're, we're outnumbered. Talked about um, marriage. We have a high value for marriage here. We have our marriage Mondays every Monday night. An incredible group of people, leaders who, who love on those who come in our community, in our church here. It's incredible ministry. But the statistics are not in our favor in terms of marriages being healthy here in our community, here in our city. It's just, we're, we're, we're up against a, a difficult beast there. It's a hard, hard battle to fight. Another example is, um, is young men and women, Christian men and women, heading off to college, statistically have a one in four chance of remaining Christian after they graduate. One in four Christians going to college, remaining Christian. In some, in, in some areas of our lives, we are outnumbered. I mean, there is a, the odds are against us. We are not always going to win just because we said, I'm going to follow Jesus. We're, we're not always going to win. And what happens is sometimes we need to surrender power. We need to just trust God with the results of some things in our lives. I've compared the first section to marriage and then dieting. And so this third, I want to compare it to, the, to another thing that we do here at the beginning of the year, and that is the, the discipline of exercise. 
And so here we are jumping into 2020 and many of us have a plan for exercising well. And if, you're, if your plan for that is to use your own power, your own strength, your own discipline, your own ability to get up and make sure everything happens, statistically, you won't get much past the month of January. Some of you haven't even gotten past the first week in January, but you can get started again this week, right? You get started with it. But it's a, it's a, tough, it's a tough thing to just kind of muster up our own power. How we, how, what makes us more effective is when we team up with somebody else. When we, when we identify a trainer, a coach, a partner, somebody to do this with. That's what allows us to keep on going, to continue doing it. Discipline is not about your power and your strength. Discipline is your willingness to surrender power and strength. You think about a disciplined dog. Okay, those of you who have dogs, think about whether you're not your dog is disciplined or not. Ours is not. And so a, a disciplined dog is not a strong, powerful dog. A disciplined dog is the one who surrenders power to the master. Again, not our dog. We go for a walk and she just goes wherever she wants. She's this big, but she overpowers us all. And so we just love her, but, but she is not a disciplined dog. Discipline is not about power. It's about surrendering power so that when we choose to follow Jesus, it's not about us becoming more powerful. It's about us surrendering that power to Jesus. He's saying, you are on the throne. You are Lord of my life. So you decide, you help me decide what I'm supposed to do here as I get started with 2020. God, you speak to me in terms of whether or not I'm supposed to stay at this job. You speak to me in terms of what's supposed to happen with this relationship. God, I surrender power to you. You tell me if I'm supposed to give my marriage another chance because I don't want to. But, but I surrender to you. I surrender that power to you, which is what the king has to do. He realizes he's outnumbered. And so he says, I'm, I'm, gonna, I'm gonna surrender this power. We don't want to do this. Again, this can be the most difficult thing for us, to surrender power. But when we choose to follow Jesus, it's going to cost us. Jesus is very clear. He doesn't pull any punches. Got to love that about him. He doesn't paint a beautiful picture and then, you know, bait and switch. He shoots real straight. And he also shoots real clear about the reward of following him. And we just, we can't lose sight of this. Yes, it's hard, it costs us something, but there is a tremendous reward. When we seek other things in life, there is hope for a reward. So in marriage, we can go to Marriage Monday, we can do our very best, but, but you know what? We only have control over ourselves. We don't have control over the other person. So there's no guarantee that our cost, that our efforts are going to lead to something great. There's no guarantee. In dieting, we can have hope that we're going to feel better, we're going to have more energy, we're going to look better, we're going to live longer, but there's no guarantee with that stuff. Same with exercising. There's no guarantee you could get injured. You never know what's going on inside of your heart and all that kind of stuff. There's no guarantee. But with Jesus, when he talks about a cost, it's more than just a hope. I want to read from Matthew chapter 16. Jesus, once again in this section, talks about the cost. He says, whoever wants to be my disciple 
must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it. But whoever loses their life for me will find it. That's more than hope. That's not just maybe things will be okay. When you deny yourself, take up the cross, count the cost, you will experience life. Life that perhaps you you don't even know what that looks like yet. To have followed down a path of surrendering your life to Jesus. Being a follower of Jesus leads to life. That's the promise. It's a guarantee. It's not just a hope. It's not just a hope. I want to close with one one thing and then 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 I'll let you go. And this is really important. I don't, I don't want, I, don't, I want to make sure this is clear. What we've been talking about here is growth. What we've been talking about here this morning and what, with the theme for the 18 weeks is growth. It's the idea of here I am and I want to, I want to make improvements in my life. I want to surrender more of my life to God. I want to, I want to, I want to grow. I want to um, um, expand. I want to try new things, etc. What we're not talking, what I'm not talking about here in terms of the cost is grace. I got to separate those two things. Grace costs you nothing. Okay, grace is free. It's the grace of God bringing forgiveness in your life where you can be a forgiven person. You can be a whole person. You can wear a white wedding dress again because because we can be washed white as snow. Grace is free, but growth is not. And so this is really important as we head into this. Grace, glorious grace, is free, but growth is not. If you want to get started on this 18-week journey, if you want to build a tower, if you want to to head into battle with your 10,000 soldiers, if you want to experience all that God has for you in 2020, we want to be real clear as we get started. Clear expectations. It will cost you something. If you want to grow, it will cost you something. And so we got to just ask ourselves as we head into this, are we up for that? Are we up for that? I want to pray with you and then we'll, and we'll dismiss. Would you bow your head? Father, I pray first of all for any in this room who are not really at the place of, of looking at, at the cost but really at the place of of needing grace. Any in this room who, who just need clarity here today as we gather that your grace is sufficient and that it is free, no strings attached. We don't have to do, say anything. We just, we just surrender ourselves to you. We just ask for your forgiveness. And Father, I also pray for any here in this room who are ready to go beyond that, who are ready to grow. Father, that you would help us identify anything in our lives that we are holding on to that's holding us back from growing. And we know it. Any, any relationship, any habit, any object in our lives that we are clinging to that is holding us back, God, would you help us to just Loosen our fingers. Just loosen our fingers so that we can begin the process of releasing that to you. I know it will cost us, but we want to grow. We want to grow. 
I pray, Father, that you'd bless us on that journey in the, in the name of your son, Jesus. Amen. We have a prayer team that will gather up front here. They'd love to pray with you about anything you'd like. So thankful you came today. Have a great week. We'll see you next time.